Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 318, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Amanda and talk about zooming out and taking a long term approach to finances. I feel like in about 10 years, you know, I said I wanted to scale back working. I feel like I would be able, it would be reasonable for me to make enough through those years to live off of so that I'm not touching anything that I've saved. Um, that's kind of how I was thinking about it is that. You know, if I just covered my living expenses and nothing else, then I'd let everything that I'd invested grow. But I don't know if that's a reasonable tactic. If I, I'm not really sure about my plan. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my never going to IM you about crypto co-host, Scott Trench. Thank you, Mindy. Well, I'll never IM you about crypto. I am the long-lost descendant of a notable royal family, and I just need a few hundred dollars in order to obtain some documents that can help me access that fortune. So I will DM you about that. And if you could please wire me the money, that would be great. Yes, you can reach out to him as Scott as a big fat liar at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or just get a little bit of flexibility 10 years down the line, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, today's guest is Amanda. She is a an accountant. She's working as an accountant, getting her accountant degree at night and on the weekends, and she is looking forward to financial independence in 10 years, something that was not even on her horizon just a few years ago. She's changed her financial outlook, changed her expenses dramatically, and is now starting the path to financial independence. That's right. Amanda has a really good um, optimism and outlook um, and ability and command of her finances, and so I'm excited to see what the future holds for her. Okay, before we bring in Amanda, let's make our attorney happy by saying the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with Rent to Retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Amanda is a recent empty nester and went from renting a giant house to renting a studio and dramatically decreased her expenses in the process. Hooray! Now she has money to invest and she wants to make sure she's properly allocating her investments. Amanda, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. I'm super excited to talk to you. Let's jump right into it. What do you make and where does it go? So um, my take-home pay after tithing is $35.72 a month, and I get $1,200 a month in alimony. So my total income is $47.72. My monthly expenses total $32.70. You want me to go over them line by line? Yeah, let's go. Let's do a quick overview. Okay, so my rent, it it includes all utilities except electricity, and it is $14.25 a month. My renter's insurance is seven. Electricity is about 15. Um, Gas, I wrote 200, but it's getting higher by the minute. (laughs) Um, I commute to work. Car maintenance, I set aside 75 a month. My car insurance is 77. Um, Groceries, I spend about 250, and restaurants about 250. Um, A lot of that is I still feed my kids. They don't live with me, but they're young and don't know how to cook that well, so. I help them. Um, my son is uh, in college, and so I help him out with rent, and that's four fifty a month. Um, I got a counseling expense for the kids that's a hundred a month. I spend twenty two on Netflix. My internet is fifteen. Um, the cell phones are one twenty eight. My kids each pay for their own payment and the additional to add them, but I pay that base for everybody. And my life insurance is six dollars. Spend about 25 on laundry. I don't have a washer and dryer here. Um, I bundled up clothes, hair, makeup, about 75 a month. Uh, set aside 50 for Christmas and gifts, and about 100 for entertainment and just miscellaneous things. And so that leaves a difference of 1502 that I'm currently investing in a Roth IRA and index funds. Love the complete command of your budget. That's awesome. Thank you. I work in accounting, so I can't I can't really help it. <laughs> That's great. You mentioned alimony. Does that have an end date? It does. It ends December of 2023, which coincides with the month that I'll finish uh, my bachelor's degree in accounting. So I'm just assuming that, you know, I'll, I will have a better job and make that up in income around that time. Sounds great. 
What um what's your net worth look like? Where does it where where are your assets and liabilities? So in retirement accounts, I have um, a total of forty about forty seven thousand. Um, Sixty two fifty is in a Roth IRA, and that's invested in index funds. Um, I have twenty two thousand one hundred in a rollover IRA, and that's a target date fund. And I have I work for a school district, so I have a SERS plan. And that is right now um, at 17000 And I contribute 10% of my pay every month, which is about $610 goes into that. Um, I also, also have a pension plan, and I'll be fully vested um, October 2023. And then I have a VEBA account that um, came from the last job I left, and that's got about 1600 in it. And then for my non-retirement savings, I have 13000 in um, a brokerage account and just index funds. And then I have a savings account with um, a little over 23000 And I have that allocated into uh, 16000 for a six-month emergency fund, 4000 for college for myself, um, about 2350 for travel, a little over 500 for car expenses, and about 500 for Christmas and gifts. So when you add that up, I've got a net worth of about 83000 and no debt. Awesome. And and you, you said you have a pension plan. Can you walk us through what that pension plan looks like from an asset perspective? So um, I'll be fully vested in October of 2023. And that pension plan, it's a school district. So it's based on length of service and your average uh, income over those years. So I um, so it'll be five years that I've been with a school district at that point. And then it's, I believe it's 1% times your years of service times your average um, salary, and then you get that as a monthly payment when you retire. So if I, if I left that job then, in, at the end of 2023, that would be about 250 a month. If I stay with the school district a long time, it could be a lot higher, just depending on my pay. Okay. Awesome. Makes, makes sense. And, and what are your goals? Um, so I, my kids right now are um, almost 19, 21, and 23, and my 23-year-old's married, and I feel like in about 10 years, I'll probably have some grandkids, and, you know, I'm still, I'm 44 now, so I'll still be fairly young then, and I want to be able to work less and play with my grandkids and travel and, like, and live a fun life without having to go to work Monday through Friday. So I don't necessarily want to fully retire in 10 years. I don't think that I could, um, and I don't, I don't know what I would do all day. <laughs> so I would just like to have the flexibility to work less, probably still in the same field. Um, but yeah, just not have to, not have to work every single day. Awesome. Well, let's go through, let's, let's look at this. Where are you putting your $1,500 that you're saving each month today? Where's that, where's that typically going? So I'm putting 500 into the Roth IRA and that that's part of my question. I have that. So it didn't, I, this is all new to me. <laughs> like I haven't had extra money until a few months ago. And so my son is the one that told me about the podcast, um, told me that I could be fi, And I was like, that's cute. No, it's not. That's not what people like me do. You know, I'm just going to work till I'm old and you know, maybe you can be fi. But then I started, you know, looking into it and thinking, and you know, listening to your podcast and all of his advice. And, um, and realizing I could do something with this. But then when I opened these accounts, I didn't know you had to invest them in something and you had to pick what you were gonna invest them in. 
And that was a little confusing. I thought you just open an IRA and it just invests itself. So I put it in index funds, but I don't know if that's what I should be doing. Um, I, I just guessed at that. And so I don't, so like part of my IRA is in a target date fund. I don't know if that makes more sense, but so the Roth IRA right now is just index funds. And then I put about a thousand a month into an after-tax brokerage account that's just index funds. So it's all index funds. I, I, I think, I think that's great. I think, I think that the, uh, the question is how do you get you, your goal is flexibility in 10 years from now. Um, and the question is, how far do we want to go in order to get that flexibility? I think would be would be how I'd frame it. Let, let's let's ask. I have a couple more questions about your background here. So right now, you do not have a bachelor's degree, and you're doing accounting. Um, what will change? And you said you're going to get your bachelor's degree this year, next year. Uh, the end of 2023. And what, what do you expect to do after you get the bachelor's degree? What will, what will that change about your income, for example? Well, I'd really like to stay um, with the school district that I'm in, or at least in school district work. Um, and it just would automatically make me eligible for better positions. Um, and so I've, that's where all my experience is at. And I've spoken with my um, direct supervisor and kind of told her what my goals are with the district. And, you know, I think there's a really good path to stay in accounting with the school district once I, you know, as I get my degree and to just keep going up. Um, so from my estimation, I feel like I will be making, you know, maybe forty, fifty thousand $50,000 more a year in the next five-ish years. Forty, fifty thousand $50,000 more per year. Okay, awesome. Um, right now you're saving $1,500 per, per month. And at the end of 2023, you will be eligible for promotion, but you'll also be losing alimony on a go forward basis. So net, I wouldn't expect a big change in cash flow coming out of finishing your bachelor's degree. It will be basically a bridge um, to continuing your current savings rate at that point in time. But then I feel like from there, it's just going to be a runway up. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Walk me through your commute. How far are you traveling every day? Um, it's about 20 miles each way. And, and uh, what, what part of the world do you live in? So I, I live in Seattle and I actually commute to a suburb. <laughs> so kind of the opposite commute of everyone else. But Okay, let's... Let's let me let me think through something here. How, how much do you like your house? Um, it's an apartment. It's a studio apartment that I pay about the least amount you could pay anywhere in the area for, and I love it. I don't want to live in the suburbs, and it would cost me more to live in the suburbs. So, so for that reason, I really love it. <laughs> Fair enough. I was just gonna I was gonna encourage you to consider the idea of a house hack close to work. Right, you 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 don't have any any kids living living at home anymore. Um, so if you were to buy a place that was nearby to work and have you know and, and rent out a couple of the bedrooms or the other you know a duplex or triplex, that could meaningfully reduce your net payments for rent, um, give you a rental income property that you could have flexibility with, and um, reduce your commute time, which is a major factor in your budget here for the two hundred bucks a month in gas. Right, and I thought about that. Um, where my work is is a upscale suburb, and I don't know that I could afford any sort of house there. That I mean, I, I haven't seen anything less than maybe eight hundred thousand dollars for just a house that I could rent a bedroom out of. So I don't. That, that was kind of one of my questions for you too. Is the cost of living is so high here? 
Um, I don't know about, I don't know how I can get back into real estate. I had a house that was actually in the same city where I work now. Um, that's where I raised my kids and we sold it in 2019, right before <laughs> the market went up. Um, and from that point, it's almost doubled in value. And it's, that house is close to a million dollars in value and it was not something I would consider a million dollar house. What, what about within a five mile radius of your school district? Um, you know, if, I told, if I told you where it was, <laughs> you could probably understand that not really. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I could get, I mean, I could probably find something in a suburb that's maybe equal distance from where I live now. Um, so I'd still have a commute, but I could maybe buy a house. Well, what about um, what about the school district itself? Is there a particular advantage to this school district or this area versus switching the job to a different location? So I was at a different school district doing this exact same job that I have now. And then I moved to this particular school district because the pay was about $10,000 more a year for the same job. Um, so that's why I'm here now. I just started it, uh, let's see, the beginning of February. Um, so, I mean, if there was an opportunity at another district that paid higher, I mean, I would be all for that, but I just started here. So, you know, I, but I mean, I, I've talked to my boss about it and she knows, you know, that once I have that, my degree, that I'm open to going anywhere, you know, or whoever's gonna pay me the most. <laughs> okay, well, well, here, here's what I'm trying to figure out. You have 1500 a month in cash savings, and that's likely to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, there'll be some puts and takes with the bachelor's degree. You might, you might, may, might be able to save a little bit more, might be a little bit less. Um, net of the alimony um, and the and the raise that you'll get at that point in time, um, but that gives us eighteen thousand dollars per year with which to invest and play with. We can accelerate that a lot if we can play a game with the job and housing situation, which is the elephant in the room. Half of your expenses are going to housing right now, um, so you know actually half of them, more than half, are going to housing and commute as a combo, um, and so if you could live in a place that you could Airbnb, you know, um, the, the main unit or, um, live in a, a multi-unit property and, and rent out a few of the other properties, um, that would have, you know, a net $1,600 per month impact on your financials. Um, which would, you know, what, what does that come out to? That comes out to like 18, 20, dollars $19,000 per year. Um, which could mean that you could accept a lower paying job, for example, to some degree, in order for that to offset. So just something something to noodle on. If that's not an option, we can go elsewhere in your uh, financial profile and look for um, the basics of investing. So with my salary, is that, I just would wonder how I would qualify for a loan to buy a house. Yeah, what is your annual income right now? Um, my salary is about 72,000 a year. Okay, so I, I would imagine that would qualify you for 300, 350, 375 in, in, in housing, is that? about the lines, what you, what you expect? Yeah, there's, I couldn't buy anything for that here. I mean, I could maybe buy a condo. Um, so that that's kind of, you know, where I'm trying to figure out how I could do that. I mean, I if I move to an extreme suburb, then maybe I could, you know, in the real outskirts of the city, but um, then I, I just can't see commuting or finding a position that pays that much here. So that's where I'm kind of stuck is just figuring out you know, I can only afford, I could only qualify for so much of a loan and there's not really anything available right now in that price range 
in the Seattle, greater Seattle area. And is your family all in Seattle? Is that why you want to be in Seattle? Yeah, my kids are all here. That's, yeah. So I want to look outside of school districts. And I understand that you're about to be fully vested in your pension, but we're talking about $250 a month when you retire. So it's not... I, I don't want to dog your pension because a pension can be a really great thing, but you don't have, like, you're not sitting on a huge pile of cash that you're about to walk away from if you change jobs. And accounting jobs, I don't have an accounting job, but I know that some can pay really, really well. What sort of outside the school district jobs are available? What kind of income could you make in that scenario? And, you know, when you get your degree, you'll probably have a bump up in salary opportunities outside in the uh, private sector. Um, I also imagine that you will have a lot more free time after you graduate. You're probably, I've heard that getting an accounting degree is really, really intense. So after you graduate, you'll have time to do side jobs. And I know a lot of accountants and they can never find a good bookkeeper. And I don't know what bookkeepers make, but I know that there's always a demand for good bookkeepers. And that's a, that's a remote job. You could do bookkeeping work for people in California who pay more or people in New York who pay more. If you're a good bookkeeper, you're going to make great money and have way more clients than you could possibly handle simply because finding a good bookkeeper is so hard. And having accounting principles is going to help you become a really great bookkeeper. Even now you could start that, although you've got your schoolwork, so that may not be the best use of your time right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm very open to anything. Um, the reason that I kind of, you know, have thought about staying with the school district is just because that's where all my experience is at. And I already know, like it's public what people, what salaries are. <laughs> so you can go on the website and find out what everyone makes. And um, I know what those jobs pay. And, and I've come, and I actually have looked a lot in the last couple years um, at different accounting jobs and it's a huge range. So I'm definitely open to work anywhere. I mean, I would, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, once I have that degree, I will definitely be looking at whatever field I can make the most money at. It's not, a, I mean, accounting is not my passion. It's just to make some money. So. <laughs> All right, so, so, so we're, we're kind of what I'm kind of gathering here is, is we're kind of just accepting the current situation as the status quo right now. We're not we're not really ready to make a big change on the income front, um, and that that change is predicated on finishing the degree, and you're not 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 willing to move to another location. Um, I have a lease, so I can't. <laughs> yeah, that that is far away to, to change the housing costs. So so that leaves us with the reality is you're you're going to save eighteen thousand dollars over the next year, and that's going to be the the wealth accumulation here. And coming into 2023, um, we're going to be in roughly the same position, but with the added option of being able to at least expand the search radius for a new line of work. Right. So I think we have to zoom out from our timeline here um, if we're going to accept that and say, okay, what do we want to be in three years? What's a realistic position from that? Um, so w with the 18 or let's call it $36,000, 18 times two, that you're going to save over the next two years, where do we want to put that, I think, is the next question. And right now, you've got a very sizable cash position that seems super reasonable, plenty of cash. You're not going to run out of cash or have any emergencies anytime soon. You've got your brokerage account and your Roth IRA. Do you, 
I, I, I like the idea of just kind of contributing to the Roth um, and maxing that out in this situation and then contributing the rest to, to brokerage accounts at that point. Mindy, do you have anything that you would add on that? No, I like the the opportunity that we have here to grow the after-tax investments because that's what's going to give you the optionality if all of your investments and net worth is in your pre-tax accounts, then you are going to find yourself in a conundrum. I'm super rich, but I can't do anything with it unless I access those retirement funds early. And the Mad Scientist has a really great article called How to Access Your Retirement Funds Early, um, including the Roth IRA, the Roth Conversion Ladder, the 72T separate but equal payments, and just taking the hit and taking the the paying the fee and, and withdrawing early. Um, but why do that when you can make a more conscious decision when you're starting from, you know, basically the beginning? Because do you know what your phi number is? You know, that, that's the thing that's hard is it's hard to say in 10 years where I'm going to be, you know, if I will still be single, if I will still be living here, if I, my whole family moves somewhere low cost. I mean, it's, to me, it's such an up in the air scenario, um, you know, kind of living life that it could go in any direction. So, you know, I know that the million dollars is kind of the, the single person, you know, target and then you can, then the 4% rule gives you 40,000 to live off of. Um, but it's hard to say. I don't, <laughs> I'm just, you know, the bigger the better, but <laughs> I don't really know other than that. Well, sure, we'd all love to win the lottery. <laughs> um, let's see. So expenses of 3270 a year, a month. Ooh, that'd be really great to get him. That includes um, helping my son with his rent. Um, but he, he did uh, the Running Start program. I don't know if you if that's nationwide, but basically you finish your last two years of high school at community college. So you graduate high school with an AA degree and a high school diploma. So, oh. so he did that and it's free. Um, and so he is now in college. He's a junior, about to finish his junior year. And so he'll graduate with his four-year degree next June. And so I won't be helping him with this much uh, once he graduates. So then he'll have a job. <laughs> can take care of himself a little more. So that will change too in about a year. Um, so I think you are thinking about it in great terms. The million dollars is a good starting point because you are spending around $40,000 a year. So you are, uh, you know, a million dollars is a great place to aim for. And then as your life circumstances change, you can alter your plan, but you have to have something towards that you're working towards. So, you know, work towards the scenario that you have right now, the, the situation that you're in right now. I think um, at the highest level, when I'm looking at your situation, it's like you have a tight budget. Your expenses are essentially um, – that that are, are ver that you could potentially move are going to be your son's rent assistance, which will end next year. You got puts and takes the alimony and the degree. It doesn't seem like I imagine you're working crazy hours between your job and the undergraduate degree most of the year. Is that right? Yeah, I mean I have a regular you know eight to four job and do school as I can every night. Um, it's online, so it's pretty flexible. But you know it takes up a big chunk of my time right now. It's it's a lot of work. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we have four levers in personal finance. We can earn more, 
we can spend less, we can invest, and we can create assets. So right now, what I'm hearing is there's not really any leverage to earn more because you already work a full-time job and are getting your bachelor's degree, which is your path to earning more money. Um, and from the spending less side, you already have a really tight budget and the expenses you do have are really helping your kids out to get a start in life. And those will go away in a year, but we don't really have much leverage. You spend essentially excluding that $2,800 per month to live. Um, and the only leverage we'd have there in a practical sense would be gas and rent, but we're not ready or able to make a move right now because of the income sacrifices that would, that would, that would create. On the, on the investing side, we've got real estate, stocks, other businesses, but you can't really do a very actively managed investment right now if you're working and you're getting your degree. And real estate's out of the question because you can't afford to, to find a place that um, that you want to that you want to buy in Seattle until perhaps you earn the higher income after you complete your bachelor's degree, and then that, that leads us to starting a business, which is also impractical if you're working a job and getting a full time degree at this at the same time. So I, I think at the end of the day we can we can acknowledge like you're doing great, you're, you're saving as much as you can in your situation. I think you plowed into index funds, and you look up in the, at the end of 2023 and say, okay, now I can begin playing the game a little bit by buying this next property. Um, or, or making these other moves. So I, I'd still encourage you, I'd, I'd challenge you and say, um, throw out that assumption that you can't house hack or make a move right now um, with this, that there are games you could play by moving school districts or moving into different suburbs or doing those types of things. If you want to build wealth and have more optionality in three to five years, those are levers I would reconsider and come back to. But I, I think that's, like for my, my position, I think that's what you're, that's the reality of your situation. You're doing great. You're going to save a really healthy amount of, of your income and build wealth over the next five, 10, 15 years um, with what you're doing. And it's just a matter of accelerating it year by year as these milestones pass and your son's rent payment goes away, your bachelor degree is completed, you're getting your raises and promotions. So um, one thing I was wondering is, is so I can get, I can start a 403B um, at my job, but I don't know if that's something I should bother doing. I mean, I do think that the thousand dollars in after tax is what I should continue and just in the 500 in the Roth. I think that your investment allocations right now, you had mentioned that you were, you know, we, everybody talks about open a Roth IRA, but they don't tell you that you have to actually allocate them into index funds. You're not the first person I heard say that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, we need to continue to share with people that you do have to pick which index funds you're going into. I'm guessing that there's people who are listening who don't know that there are multiple different index funds. It isn't just one index fund and say, oh, I want this in index funds and that's it. There's a ton of different options to choose from based on what your goals are, what you're comfortable with, etc. Jim Collins, JL Collins goes with VTSAX and he's been quoted as saying, buy as much of it as you can, as often as you can. That's the simple path to wealth. Um, my husband is in tech uh, tech stocks, VTI, um, because that's his big passion. He has the opportunity to do the research. You had mentioned, oh, I'm not sure if index funds is the right place to be. I think index funds are a great place to be when you don't have the time, the 
uh, history, the research, the you know information about a specific stock. This is going to be a like. I'm sure you've heard me talking about Tesla and how my husband is completely obsessed. He listens to like three Tesla podcasts every day. He reads all the Tesla news. That's like his number one uh, news alert. Anything that comes up about Tesla, he is consuming with the raging passion, the burning passion of 10,000 suns. He's so excited about this. I'm not. I'm excited that he's excited, so I don't have to do the work. But he is, I think, educated enough to choose to invest in Tesla because he's he understands what's going on. And just because he's investing in it doesn't mean you should. You don't have the same goals that he does. You don't have the same circumstances that he does. You don't have, you need to be able to do your own research and be able to do that. And if this isn't something you want to do, and most people don't, I'm not saying that you're a bad person for not, for not wanting to like listen to 27 Tesla podcasts a day. Um, but if this isn't something that you have time for, then an index fund is a great choice. And VTSAX is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. Fidelity has a version if you want to go with Fidelity instead of Vanguard. Um, but I think an index fund is a great place to put your money. Uh, you mentioned a target date fund. So here's a bit of uh, research opportunity for you. What is a target date fund and why did you put your money in there? Do you feel comfortable once you really research what a target date fund is? Do you feel comfortable still having your money in there? You are 44 years old. They are going to start decreasing your risky investments and increasing your bond safe investments in this target date fund. The great thing about this is that you're not going to be at risk of losing a lot of money. The bad thing is you're not at risk of gaining a lot in these target date funds. They they pull away the risk. So since you're essentially just getting started, maybe a target date fund isn't the best place for your money, or maybe not all of it should be in a target date fund. Maybe there should be some sort of uh, allocation separation uh, where you've got some of it in a target date fund. So you feel a little comfortable with it. I'm sure that a target date fund uh, is it's an actively managed fund. So I'm sure that gives you a sense of security that somebody who knows what they're doing is looking at these funds. But index funds are so set it and forget it. You don't really have to do any research. It's every stock. Yeah, the, the target date fund, is um, that was from a rollover IRA. And so I got that in the divorce and just, they just asked me, what do you want to do with it? How about a target date fund? And I was like, sure, that's great. And then I just left it there. So that's the oldest investment that I have. And I, yeah, I, I only am in that because that's where they put it. <laughs> so when I knew nothing, um, yeah, so that's good, good advice to rethink that. So that is it. Yeah. And that's rethink it. It might be the best place for your money, for you and your goals and your, you know, your comfort level, but know what you're investing in. So go and research not only target date funds in general, but the specific one that you're in. And, you know, is this really where I want these, this money to be in? 
based on my comfort level, based on my goals, based on, you know, how much more I'm going to continue to contribute to this and to my retirement funds in general, is this really where I want this money to be? I, I think your investing approach makes a lot of sense. You could shift more towards index funds, the target date funds. Those are good. You're, you, you're obviously very well researched on this and, and have a good a good foundational opinion of this. When, when we take your position and zoom out based on what we just discussed, you're going to save eighteen thousand dollars, fifteen hundred times twelve, over the next twelve months, and likely continue that, perhaps slowly imp- increasing that amount of savings in the you know years three, four, five, six, seven, ten. So let, let's let's round that up and say we're going to save between two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars over the next decade, and we're going to invest that the entire time in these items that are you know generating ideally a ten percent average return. We're, that's going to put your net worth in the ballpark of $500,000 farther ahead 10 years from now than it is today um, if we carry that plan out and, and extrapolate to that point. The question is, what does that portfolio look like in 10 years that gives you options and makes you feel good? What would you do? You have 80000 80, right now. What, if you were to, to say, here's $580,000, how do I want that allocated in 10 years? Do I want that all in my retirement accounts and pensions? Do I want it in an emergency reserve? Do I want it after tax? Um, there are trade-offs with all of those things. And remember, in 10 years, we're 54. Um, so we want to make sure that that's, you know, that we're taking it, that we're t- keeping in mind that, hey, that's not a very long bridge to, you know, 59 and a half, 65, where I'll be able to make use of those retirement accounts. So I think there's some nuance that we need to plan for there. Uh, and think through about a, a balancing act. There's enough flexibility in there to keep your um, situ- your, your options open um, to allow you flexibility. But there's also we're also playing a really smart tax advantage game. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like in about ten years, you know, I said I wanted to scale back working. I feel like I would be able. It would be reasonable for me to make enough through those years to live off of, um, so that I'm not touching anything that I've saved. Um, that's kind of how I was thinking about it. Is that you know, if I just covered my living expenses and nothing else, then I'd let everything that I would invested grow. But I don't know if that's a reasonable tactic. If I, I'm not really sure about my plan. <laughs> well, if you keep your living expenses the same right now, they're thirty-two hundred a month. So if you get if you get this, uh, if you're earning forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars more per year uh, at that point in time, and your expenses are holding relatively flat, moving up slightly with inflation. Then you'll be easily able to work part time and cover your living expenses, while allowing that that investment nest egg we just discussed to begin to compound. So that that would that would give you some flexibility because you at least have an, the investment nest egg that's compounding, and you don't need to keep adding aggressively to that pile necessarily. So that would be one way to think about it. Are you going to school during the summers too, or is it just uh, like a traditional school year? No, it's a, it's self-paced. It's WGU. So you just take one class at a time and it's competency-based and you just never stop <laughs> until you have your degree. So yeah, at, about, at the pace of about one class a month, that's when I'm figuring my graduation date. So it, it doesn't really end. Does your work ebb and flow with the summers? Like a traditional school district or is yours year-round? My job is year-round, so our, our hours don't fluctuate at all. There's, I, you know, I think, so one thing I've been doing is um, I have worked some overtime, and so I've saved that overtime into um, a vacation fund. So that's kind of how I'm paying for 
vacations um, and travel that I'd like to do. Um, and so there's, you know, I think there's more opportunity for overtime during the school year than there is in the summer, but that's pretty much the only fluctuation of workload that we have. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? 
I know it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Okay, well, got it. What else can we help you with today? Um, well, another question I have is I have um, a high deductible uh, health insurance plan, but I didn't really know that I had that. And so I just have uh, an FSA account, and I, but I could get an HSA account next year. Um, but I don't really know how that, you know, how much I should put into that. And, you know, I hear people talk about it a lot, but I'm not fully... Um, educated on how it works and if that's something that I should be putting more money into. Okay. Well, the mad scientist says that the HSA is the hidden retirement account or the best retirement account or something. I probably should have looked that up, but he's a super huge fan of it and I'm a super huge fan of him and it's a great account because you are allowed to put money in there tax-free. And there's a max of, I think, $3,500 if you're single and 7000 or 7100 or whatever if you're married, basically, it's, or a family, if it's just doubled. So um, you can put this in tax-free. It grows tax-free. You can withdraw it tax-free for qualified medical expenses, which is pretty much anything on the FSA list. Um doctor's visits, prescriptions, you know, any of your out-of-pocket expenses, or you can cash flow your out-of-pocket expenses if you're able to and just let this money continue to grow while saving receipts for all of these things. So then you can withdraw this money at a later date. So let's say that you have, you're cash flowing all of these, you're saving all of your receipts, you're, you're contributing to the max of your HSA. And at the end of the year, you have or at the end of 10 years, let's say you have $40,000 there, you can take your $5,000 worth of receipts and withdraw it and pay no taxes on that. You've already paid those bills. So that money just goes in your pocket. Very oversimplification of the way that it works. Um, you have to make the decision based on your finances and your health. Are you a generally healthy per person? Do you have a lot of medical bills or are you making you know, are you, are you, do you have a lot of medical bills? Um, the, you mentioned an FSA plan. If you have an HSA, you can have a, like, it's like dental and uh, dental and vision FSA. So if you need contacts, you should put some money into the FSA. If you have, you know, ongoing dental work or even just like regular, dental checkups that aren't completely covered by your dental insurance, or you have no dental insurance, you should put some money into the FSA for that. If you don't have those options, like I have terrible eyes and need contacts. So I put money into FSA 
my FSA plan, and it may not be the same as yours, so you need to read your plan documents, but my FSA plan has $500 that rolls over every year. So I make sure that I look at my balance and I know, okay, contacts are going to be $150. So I need to have at least $650 in that account. And then I will take out the $150 for my contacts. And then I still have the $500 that'll roll over. If it's dropped below that because I've had some other random things like two kids going through the braces plan at $6,000 a pop, then I've put more in my FSA. Um, but make sure that FSA is a use it or lose it plan. Right. I've been really conservative with it because of that. And I don't think that my plan rolls over because I got all these emails about spend your money or lose it. So you'll get those emails, even if it is a rollover, if there's any amount that rolls over, talk to your HR department, read the plan documents and make sure if there's any rollover that you're, you know, roll it over, see what happens. But um, the FSA, the HSA plan is a really great way to save additional money tax-free that grows tax-free. And then I think at like, I want to say 65, 75, 80, whatever, you can start pulling it out just for random expenses. Yeah, I, I think the HSA is a powerful tax-deferred wealth building vehicle that can you 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 can put the money in tax deferred you can withdraw any contributions and gains tax free for qualified health expenses and you can treat it like a traditional 401k after a certain age limit is reached so it's a really powerful wealth building tool if you have good investment options available inside of your plan uh, in particular so i think those would all be things to research your challenge will be okay, the HSA maximum contribution is $36.50 per year. So that's a lot for you. That's that's going to be two and a half months of, of your savings are going to go just to filling out your HSA. Then you've, if you want to do your Roth, that's another, what, 6600 What's the limit this year, Mindy? Oh, Roth. Limits this year are 6000 6, sorry. Um, so now, now you're at 9650 That is... More that is that is ha more than half of your annual savings. That leaves you with the nine thousand left to either put into these retirement, the, the tax deferred retirement accounts, or um, begin putting into after tax things. So there's a trade off that you'll have to get clear on and say, what does that ideal portfolio look like in ten years from now when I want that optionality um, in my in my life, and what are the trade offs I'm going to make? Am I going to max out the HSA, the Roth? Um, in an ideal world, we can do all of the above and still have lots of liquidity, but um, we're going to have to make trade-offs in your situation. Right. So that's, I, I guess that's kind of what I'm wondering. Is it worth doing it all or should I just leave it as an FSA for now and keep investing as I am? Because it's not something I can change until January, but I don't know if it makes any, if it makes that much difference or if that's something to save for when I have a higher income? Yeah, I, I guess from, from my standpoint, personally, how I'd approach it, would I, I'd be like, okay, um, I'm not, I, I need to crush this bachelor's degree and get, um, and get this raise. I need to do it as soon as possible. That's the biggest lever in my financial position right now. If I can speed that up for, to two classes a month or one class every three weeks, um, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to do that and, and advance that graduation date. Cause that's the biggest lever in my, my financial position. After I get that, I'm going to get the, get the wage increase. 
um, and leverage that to either be able to find a house hack in the local market or get a new job in a different market where that where that is conducive and begin adding real estate or at least offsetting my housing expense to some degree with that. And then I'm going to look up in 2024 and be like, okay, I don't have that $1,400 a month in rent and I don't have the $200 in gas every month. I've brought those down and now my net is just $200 to live. So I'm I'm now saving another 1500, 1400, 1500 per month on top of my that now my savings rate's 3000 a month plus I have a raise um from from, from my job which is another 2 1000, 2000 dollars a month. Okay, now I'm saving 4000 dollars a month. That's 50 grand a year. Now over the next 8 years I'm going to generate 400,000 dollars in investable liquidity and I'm going to place that into stocks and or real estate. Uh, investments, either by continuing to buy like live-in flips, flips or house hacks, or by just buying rental properties in some in some location. In addition to my investing in index funds, which may go on in after-tax brokerage accounts or these retirement accounts. So that's kind of how I would be trying to think about the situation: is how do I leap forward to those inflection points where I actually have some of these options? If you're going to go down that route, if you like what I just said, then the after-tax liquidity is going to be relatively important because in the next year, you, right now you have $23,000 in cash. In the next year, you could save up another twenty. That gives you $40,000. That's a reasonable position to buy, I think, a, a, a property with. So that would be a powerful, like that would be one way to think about it is, all right, I'm, not, I'm going to forego the HSA contributions and being really heavy in the Roth or my my tax deferred plans and I'm going to instead focus on after tax liquidity to pursue that plan. But if I'm thinking I'm just going to be at the school district for the next 10 years kind of doing what I'm doing, maybe working some side jobs, okay, and 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 I just really don't think that the house hack or live and flip options are realistic for me, then I think you leave your cash position the way it is and start going down this ladder from an HSA, Roth IRA and tax deferred account investing perspective. So if I were to to do that, to, to try to buy real estate, you know, after I graduate and get a better job. Um, so you, in the meantime, would it be, would, would I put my money in just a savings account or in index funds still? Yeah, I think, I think it's a savings account at this point because your time horizon is too short, right? You can't, if, if you're, if, if the, if the needle mover, if you decide the needle mover is going to be one of these, this real estate investment, then and you can't save up your down payment in an index fund um, because it's too volatile. If you were if you were um, saving three four thousand dollars a month and were able to easily qualify for property in your area, I'd have a different opinion because you'd be able to invest it in the index fund or whatever. Um, and you're still saving so much that the down payment is not a two year three year huge high stakes decision. But I think in your case, it, it's a high stakes decision because. Um, it's going to require essentially all of one year's savings to to put down for that property, and you're going to want some reserves to handle things. So, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I hadn't thought about that as an option. It's, yeah, it's, thank you for helping me <laughs> think differently. Awesome. Well, what else can we help you with today? Those are really my biggest things. I kind of just you know I'm a really like I like to plan what's going to happen. 20 years from now because I like to overthink. <laughs> so I just kind of wasn't, I kind of wanted an idea in my head of as I make more, what should I, 
be doing with it? Should I keep like the percentages I have invested the same way? Should I, you know, invest more heavily in just retirement accounts and, and that kind of thing. So I just kind of wanted this overall picture of, you know, in the next 10 years, what direction do I go with each thing? But I hadn't really thought about real estate a whole lot. So that is kind of just a different option. And, uh, but if I didn't do that, if I just, just uh, invested in retirement and after-tax brokerage accounts, then what would your advice be for the next 10 years like as to how to as how much to invest in each of those like percentage wise uh well well i think okay so i think i think you say at 55 what do i want my portfolio to look like and so if you if you if you do if you carry out the plan as it kind of looks like it's prescribed here i get the bachelor's degree and i go into the job and i get my raise and these raises over time by you know, 10 years from now, you're earning 140 a year, hopefully, and you're saving, uh, what was the difference there? That's going to be forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. So cumulatively, we'll have saved three hundred to $400,000 and your portfolio will be worth five to $600,000 in a strong scenario. So that, that brings you to five to $600,000, $700,000 in total net worth at 55. Um, given that scenario, I would go really heavy into the retirement accounts because I think that you're close enough to retirement age at that point where you're going to want to have to, to be building that wealth tax tax efficiently so that you have you know you got to plan for the next you know 50 years um, following that because you're going to live to be 105 and so we got a lot of, yeah so so I would I would actually be really biasing towards the the retirement accounts at that point i'd go down i'd figure out what's my ladder look like you might say hsa is the first thing i'm going to max then i'm going to do the roth ira i'm going to do that until i get begin approaching the income limit and i'm going to begin shifting that more towards the 401k at that point as i move into higher and higher tax brackets um or well, i'm sorry the not the 401k what's the tax deferred version that you guys have 403b the 403b yes so i'm gonna have the 403b in there uh, I'm going to be vesting into my pension. I'm going to be 10 years further along with my pension at that point, and that's going to be a more meaningful part of my net worth. And I'm going to begin building building wealth in that more traditional way. So that won't give you the optionality to really um, preserve income at that same. But but if you're able to go part time and earn half the income, you'll still be able to easily cover your expenses. And, and still invest to some degree. So that, that would be the way I would think about it if you're going into the, the more traditional route um, without making kind of those bigger changes to accelerate income or cut back on the, the lifestyle expenses with real estate. That makes sense. That's, I was definitely looking for some direction there because I just I had no idea. You know, like I said, I just, I never thought I would be in this spot that I could have these conversations. Um, I just thought I'd work forever. So this is, it's fun to talk about for sure. You've got the savings because you're in such clear command of where your money is going. So you've got, you've got the, the defense down so in, in, in such a strong way right now. And that's going to give you the option to build lots of wealth here. So it's a matter of where you build it and, and how you, how you want to do it. And, and in, in case one, I go all out on trying to build a accessible, controllable after-tax position. And that's if I'm going to use real estate and other and side businesses or whatever to aggressively build wealth on the side. And if I'm not going to do that, then I'd go down the more traditional path of thinking about maxing these retirement accounts and um, 
and, and investing and building that pension benefit. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Mindy, you have anything to add? I don't. I think we've covered it. I think we've got some things to work on and some research opportunities. And, you know, I think we're in kind of a, a waiting game right now with the uh, the college degree and the, you know, helping the, the son with his rent. And, you know, those are going to free up, free up ta- space in your budget and increase income down the road. So I think 2022 and 2023 are just keep on the same track and, you know, think about where you want your, your funds to go and, you know, research some of these things, the, the uh, target date funds, the specific index funds that you want to be involved in. Um, I would also say, read the book, A Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Um, That's a great, easy to understand. He doesn't get really deep in techno, like technical mumbo jumbo. It's really easy to understand. Uh, path to index fund investing and, you know, the, the whys behind it. Okay. We'll do that. Okay, great. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay, Scott, that was Amanda with an interesting and unique story that we haven't heard before on this show where she's got about 10 years on her financial independence journey. Yeah, I think I think it just depends on what action she's willing to take, right? You have to there's four levers as I stated earlier in the show. You can spend less, you can earn more, you can invest, and you can create. And right now, Amanda does not have a large amount of assets with which to invest. Starting a business or creating seems a little bit out of reach while she's working a full-time job and pursuing her bachelor's degree. And so it's really about focusing what she can control and working step-by-step step to finish this bachelor's degree, open up options, and then decide, does she want to be aggressive and creative as an investor uh, and go the more risky or and potentially more scalable route of real estate investing or side businesses or those types of things? Or does she want to go all in on the career with the school district? And that will, that will provide stability, um, the ability to build wealth, a pension that will grow over time and can be a really good option um, uh, for, for her over the next couple of years. So I'll be interested to see kind of how that unfolds for her over the next couple of years and and which path she goes down. Yeah, that'll be very interesting. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. From episode 318 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying in the immortal words of Darth Vader, live long and prosper. What? I know. Yeah, that was Spock. I know. Okay. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com/deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.